Let's Roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for all things Kings of War. as they delve into the world of Mantica and bring you in-depth coverage of all things Kings of War. Welcome to Countercharge. I'm Eric Trowbridge. I'm Felix Castro. And I'm Jeremy Duvall. We're back again. Really excited to have the uh, the hardest working man in Kings of War, the, your, uh, <laughs> your 2020 uh, Kings of War U.S. Master Eric Trowbridge on the line. Um, and uh, his fellow compadre of the secret chat cave, Felix Castro. Uh-oh. I thought he, I thought he was talking about me, man. Okay, it's <laughs> <is> about Eric. <laughs> yeah, but you're like you're you're awesome by association, right, Felix? Check my ego at the door. <laughs> <laughs> Being a member, I just got to know, like, what do I what do I got to get do to get into the secret chat cave? Do I got to start giving back? I already hug. I'm the biggest hugger in Kings of War. What do I got to do? Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one. I only, I, I honestly, I don't even know how I got in. Well, think about it. Come up with like a initiation ritual. Gotta bathe, bathe myself in blood or so, whatever I gotta do. It's it's just weird. It's like the count. The, so there's there's five of us who've been in this fishbowl for the last four years, and wow. uh, it's uh, Steve Malone, uh, Andrew Summers, Felix, myself, and Kyle Poole. and it's almost like taken the form of like a collaborative journal like there's it's just going on and on and we're all absolutely and we we fight like family we love like family it's 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 bizarre and uh i think we're all terrified to mess up the chemistry like right. honestly like, <laughs> like the, the, some of the coolest people are like how do we like how do i get into chat cave i'm like i, I don't know <laughs> i don't know how to get into chat cave we're, we're just afraid that we'll screw up a good thing like I just remember, like he and I, Eric and I had played at our local store down here in Dayton, and then I remember eating dinner at a really crappy Chinese restaurant, and then Eric was just like, "Hey, I've got this like little group going on right now. You want in?" I was like, "Uh, sure." <laughs> like that's how I got in. So heck, if I know, maybe eat chi- crappy Chinese food with us. So for those who don't know, um, like we said at the at the top, Eric uh, did win this year's U.S. Masters, and he is uh, a buddy uh, with uh, Felix uh, that you guys will recognize from After Dark and from Narrative Workshop. So we're just no one listens to Narrative Workshop. Oh, well, well, I just want to say like. Out of the narrative workshop, you are probably the one who plays the most games. Since Ben plays some and Mark plays none, that must mean that you're number one in games played of narrative narrative workshop. Wait, he, Mark plays? Well, I, that's why I said he doesn't. He plays zero. No, I'm just kidding. Mark, oh, okay. we love Mark. I think you know he, he relishes the fact that there's no one. He's the best player in the country who doesn't play Kings of War. He he's embraced that. Yeah, he's he's embraced that rule. So. Much, much love to Mark. Yeah, you're a family man. You got a lot going on. You know, I know his business is uh, uh, crazy, but I was really looking forward to seeing him not play at Adepticon, which is uh, which is all sad. I mean, what do you guys think? For those who didn't, it's hard not to have seen Adepticon has been canceled, so no Clash of Kings this year, which is a total bummer. Um, but it's one of those things where it's a bummer, but like worst case scenario, what could happen is really bad. So. Um, I know, Eric, you weren't really planning on Adepticon this year, but I know you were, Felix. What are your thoughts? 
I think overall, I mean, yeah, I'm disappointed, but I think one has to take a sense of perspective and realize that ultimately this is still a game. You know, <laughs> when we're talking about pandemics and possible exposures to stuff and possibly bringing stuff back home to your home areas, that's that's not a good thing. So granted, yes, I wanted to see Jeremy. I wanted to see all the amazing members of this community that all kind of meet up at Adepticon. But, you know, you have to get the sense of perspective and just kind of realize it's not necessarily about this game. It's about the, the greater community. And I don't want to wish any of us within King's War, just anybody else more, even though this stuff's spreading at a, a crazy rate. Uh, I just, I, I get, I, I get why the organizers, you know, basically had to cancel. So, yeah, you know, it really kind of was probably the right thing to do anyway, even if it wasn't started, you know, coming down as a lot of states are mandating, you know, not a lot of people gathering at one spot. But I think you're exactly right. It's, it's a hobby that we love, and in the end. Um, it is just a hobby, and for me, I just come back to, I don't care if I don't get sick, but what if I got something and was walking by some nice elderly gentleman, like, enjoying a nice sunset, and then, like, I give him the corona and I kill him? I would just feel, I mean, look how bad I felt when I made that kid cry in that game. What if I killed some old dude? Oh, man, I, you, I could, I could live with myself. <laughs> Yeah, so, I mean, that's kind of, so, I mean, that's an impact. I mean, obviously, that's one less GT that I'm going to be able to attend, but you know what? There will be other GTs. No, it will be back. I mean, Adepticon is such a stable of not just our hobby, or Kings of War specifically, but just a miniature gaming hobby in itself. Um, And I know for me, I'm trying to, you know, spin it positive in in that I was not planning to go to Lone Wolf this year. But with Adepticon dropping off now, I can then I'm just basically rolling over all that travel, like my plane ticket, all the money I put aside for the Adepticon Airbnb, and I'm just rolling that in the Lone Wolf, and then I get to see my mom because she lives in Texas. So it's actually like I'm gonna miss Adepticon, but now I get to go to another great tournament and get to see family. So I'm just trying to kind of keep positive about it, but. And my my checkbook probably is thankful that I won't be unleashed in that vendor room. And I'm going. I was going to go for an extra day this year, so I'd have a whole extra day in the vendor room at Adepticon. Yeah, that was the only thing I was really sad about because I wanted to spend all my monies there. And folks were just like, "Yeah, you know, you can always order from the websites." So I'm like, "Yeah, but you know, that's a lot of shipping and handling." And I just wanted to pack an extra duffel bag and just devastate my bank account. Yeah, so. Well, before we get into Eric's uh, run at the Masters, and then also we're going to catch up on how Felix did at the Best of the Rest tournament, let's do a quick uh, around the hobby table. Felix, why don't you go first? What have you been working on post-Masters and Best of the Rest? Well, uh, I was working on stuff for uh, Adepticon, that mainly being um, some Frostfang, a second Frostfang horde, because at Best of the Rest I won a regiment of frost fangs off the prize table so i was like well i guess this is happening now um wasn't planning on doing a second frost fang cav horde but you know what life uh finds a way so that's mainly what i'm working on but now that i've realized i don't really have a tournament yet to really go for i'm just sort of finding units i want to do in the northern alliance which is what the army i'm playing right now um and just working on those so uh, what about you, Eric? What what have you been working on, or what are you kind of what's on your hobby table nowadays? 
so I've been uh, I've been trying to get my stones together for to put together a mantic army, but I couldn't find any models that really spoke to me. And then I kind of took a really good look at some nicely painted mantic dwarves, and I've wanted a mantic or I've well I've wanted a dwarf army since I was a kid. So I think it's a uh, a lot of infantry, and I'm literally just working on uh, some some. I've painted everything on the model I know how to paint, and I'm pretty much down to beard. So I'm on a journey of discovery where I'm going to try to not screw up these beards too hard my first time out. I got about 150 more beards to go after these. So By that beard number 147, you'll have figured it out. So when you do your That's beards right. on your next army, <laughs> you'll be ready to go. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it took it took me a good uh, it took me a good forty rats to figure out my rat painting uh, mojo. So hopefully I'll be as quick with the with the dwarves. And I like Mantix dwarves. I know some people aren't a big fan, but I I, I when you see them really well painted, I actually really like that line. Who who can hate on Mantic dwarves? I'll put one of these up to the up to the camera. Where's White's camera? There we go. <laughs> Like that's a that's a badass dwarf, right? He's got personality. This is great, great podcast material. Yeah, for those in Radio Land, Eric slowly grabbed the dwarf in his fingers, lifting it up to the webcam. The light shined upon its that's golden a beard. Breaker, man, that guy will make you cry. All right, that's all I gotta say. That is, that is accurate. You'll, you'll weep salt tears. Cool. Yeah, you know, I think I've been on that trip late. I have like a couple of different. I really want my next army to be a Mantic army as well. So I'm kind of keep going between. Um, so I have kind of have to look at the build is almost secondary and it's like, what model line do I like? And then I'll find something that I can play with, you know, out of that line. Um, so Man, I, God, God love you for that. Cause I cannot, I cannot paint. I cannot force myself to paint substandard models. Like I spend so much time painting that when I paint something, it's got to really speak to me. I, I meant and, more, uh, yeah, I meant more like not so much the model itself, but like how good it is in the game. So oh, look, right. Yeah, so I'll look for the line that I like the models the most, and then I'll be like, okay, then I'll figure something out list-wise. Uh, but I'm exactly like you. You know, if you're going to invest time into models and, and the model doesn't speak to you, I just won't paint it. I'll find something else. Yeah. Right, exactly. So sort of the lines that I like is I like uh, some of the Northern Alliance. I was thinking of doing like a Ice, Kislev, Disney Princess slash Russian, medieval Russian, Anastasia, Ice sort of feel to Northern Alliance. But then also I've always liked a lot of the uh, Mantic Abyssals too. So I kind of have them going back, and then that way I could do 90% plus Mantic and then get, like, a cool uh, creature caster or Mirsch model, maybe for, like, my Well of Souls or something. That's on my to-do list. I've been uh, continuing working on the uh, Basileans. You know, I got a lot of good feedback at Masters, and I'm, I'm painting a Sisterhood infantry model from Vanguard, one of the rustic ones, as a sort of uh, test for that line plus i could use it as like a third battle wizard like i need one more character on foot and oh as a war wizard so a cool like uh sisterhood infantry would work there so but i'm trying a new uh skin recipe the skin recipe i had used before was a little like i got a lot of feedback and after i really looked at it is a little pale and little pale and pasty 
uh, maybe good for like an elf or something, but not so great for humans. So on this new model, I'm trying a different tone, a more warm tone flesh colors. So I went through my scale 75 and found kind of, I guess would be a la like elf flesh or Kislev flesh from uh, uh, Citadel. So I've been working on that. Had you seen, I think I showed you back in the day what I chose, what I was going to use as my Phoenixes, Felix, the Great Eagles from GW. Yep. So I have those. So I'm like, you know, I was looking at ways I could, they're on, they're on 50 now, which is because they were Phoenixes from the last edition. So I was looking on, you know, could I build on a 75 and even taller hill so that they would look like a Titan, you know, because they're a little bit smaller models. And I found some kind of basing that I liked. So I think I'm still going to use those for the Phoenixes. I think in general, the Basilanes now, I feel like before I start building anything else, I have a lot of stuff half painted. So I really need to like stop myself and go back and try to finish what I have assembled for that army so that I can, you know, when I move on to my next project, I won't leave something unfinished. That's sort of my goal, but definitely I love the Basilanes. I, I uh, uh, did well with them last year. They're really fun to play. Hobby-wise, it's like my best hobby army, but I'm definitely feeling that itch that, like, I want to play something else. Um, and I don't have Whites or Morgoth in my Undead army, so I can't play Undead. I'm not, I can't even, <laughs> I can't, I can't even go backwards with no uh, Whites or Morgoth. Well, like I said in the early part of the show, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Masters Weekend, both Eric's run and Felix's run. Felix, why don't you uh, you take us through? You guys, uh, you drove down together, right? What, tell us a little bit about your journey to Masters. We did. So um, <laughs> Nichols, New York is about what? What did you say, about seven, eight hours away from Columbus? Yeah, not so bad. Yeah, so Thursday night I traveled up, uh, stayed the night at Kyle Poole's house. The Dino Lord himself. The Dino Lord, yeah. I had already painted everything, so I was kind of mainly watching Kyle paint while uh, while we were both uh, drinking, and Kyle was magicking up some just crazy ass list for the Northern Alliance. I'm just sitting there, just taking notes with my phone, just like, okay, uh huh, uh huh, yeah. What happened? What is that? Okay, yeah, yeah. Because he just he just thinks it lists in a weird like other level that I just. Yeah, I just sit back in awe and take notes. So yeah, dude. Here's the thing. the thing with Kyle is that he's like in Kings of War. Like ideas are really the currency of the realm, and Kyle's basically, in my opinion, the most creative player in the game. Like he's always got some kind of ridiculous idea to try out on the table, and it, I mean some of it sucks, but there's usually the seed of something that's absolutely top, top, top class in there. And I think it's funny because if you go through like the Midwest lists that have been successful, there's basically um, over the last three years, like every list that's been like really, really dominant or really good has had some kind of DNA that he that he made up <laughs> back in the day. A, a, so a, it's, nugget, uh, a nugget of pool is in every list. Yeah, there's there's Pretty something much. in there. Like people talk about the trash meta. Well, that's just uh, him realizing that. Hey, you know, if I put seven rabble regiments out there and and sit them in terrain and play intelligently, they'll be, you know, they'll be a fantastic unkillable uh, anvil. And he just. You know, he just makes it work. Right. Yeah, so in the orcs list, I ran at Masters, for example. A lot of the ideas sort of came from pool. So, yeah, so we st- uh, stayed the night at his uh, uh, his house Thursday night, and then Friday morning, Andrew Summers came in from Indianapolis, and Eric came from his house. We all kind of met at Kyle's house, and then we kind of loaded up the car, which was an amazing car. What was it we got? Was it a 
was it a Camaro that we had or I don't remember anymore, but (laughs) or Malibu, Chevy Malibu. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Same, same, whatever. I don't do cars, Uh, which was amazing because we are not like I'm not the biggest dude in creation, but we're not exactly all four of us small either. So I was kind of surprised we all fit with all our armies and display boards and luggage. We all fit in the Malibu. So, yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, <laughs> like with a fair amount of comfort either. Like I don't think it was that uncomfortable of a ride, but and we just sort of drove up that way. Just a lot of uh, streaming of BS music and scenes from Letterkenny and all that stuff. So yeah, that's like the one bonus of having a tournament like Masters out in the middle of BF nowhere is that most people had the drive, like even us who flew. And it's having a road trip with your buds is pretty fun when you're going to like a gaming event. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Just trying to think. That was kind of basically about it. So we, we, we got into Tioga Downs about... When did we get there? About 3, 4 o'clock in the afternoon on Friday? Is that, yeah, that's about so, right. Did you come by the by the hobby room? I don't even remember. No, we did not go by the hobby room. Okay. I don't remember seeing you in, in in there, so but I there were so many people in and out, you know. R- Rashad said I needed to go up to room four, whatever that you guys were in, but that sounded very vaguely suspicious. Uh, oh, like you must come to this send, room. He was sending you to some nether, his own murder basement set up. At right, the he was like, he was like, come to this room and don't wear anything complicated. I was just like, what is going on here? <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, so uh, so we did not go to the hobby room. So I, I did miss out. But I also didn't have anything needed to get painted up. So I kind of was just like, okay. So I didn't know that's what you guys were doing. Like probably had I known that, I probably would have gone up. But Yeah, next year I think what I'm going to do on that Friday before Masters is I'm just going to have that sort of be my thing where I'm going to set up an After Dark Live. So whoever hosts it next year, I might try to get like a space set up, you know, to be have like a emergency triage hobby slash paint section. All the things that break. Yeah, or, or if you just want to paint and hang out and just chit chat to something to do, because we had Brindley and I had like a ton of fun, and so did I think people who came to work on last minute stuff. So. Oh yeah, definitely yeah. Okay, so why don't you guys take us through your lists? Uh, Felix, why don't you go first? Uh, you were playing in the Best of the Rest tournament, so why don't you take us through your list? Yeah, Best of the Rest, or as me and Jesse Cornwell like to call it, the Peasants Tournament. I was bringing Northern Alliance. Being a former dwarf player, I had to include – I had three regiments of dwarf clansmen. Those guys are so good. They're unit strength 3, 14, 16 nerve, defense 5. That's just really good in a lot of source of my unit strength in the army. So start off with those three regiments. Had a uh, Ice Nyads horde with Pipes of Terror. In hindsight, I was intoxicated when I came up with this list, so I don't know why I put Brutal on them because it literally came up zero times in, in, in the entire weekend. So I'm sure I could have spent 10 points better elsewhere. Then I had two Ice Nyad hordes – or no, sorry, Ice Elementals hordes because those things rock. They're amazing. They are really good. Uh, had a Frostfang Cavalry Horde Brew Sharpness because apparently I wasn't hugged enough as a child. So 30 attacks hitting on threes of Crush 2 just does dirty things to a lot of units that get hit by them. I uh, had a Thane on Frostfang with the Blade of Slashing and a Snow Fox. 
because uh, I needed to inspire the Frost Fangs. Two Ice Queens, uh, both with uh, Heal 5 and Surge 8. Only one got replacing the Icy Breath with Surge 8. The other one kept the sur- kept the Icy Breath. And the one that replaced the Surge, replaced the Icy Breath with Surge, had he- Shroud of the Saint, so it was Heal 13 in the list. Uh, had an Ice Blade with Wings of Honey Maze and Snow Fox, so I had a little uh, flyer action with a 21 to 23 inch threat range with Duelist and Crush One and Dash 14 nerve, good things. The Scald with the Loot of Insatiable Darkness, and then Hrim, the legendary Ice Giant, who was just baller pretty much all weekend, but we can go into that later. But that was my list, 2300 points. That was uh, Unit Strength 24 with 13 drops. And now, you said you made that list for the event, but had you been playing something like akin to this, or was this different, or had you had some reps in with something similar to this beforehand? I would say I had had reps with a lot of the different battle groups, but like never really together. My Indie Storm list was, I'd say, pretty similar, but there were some definite faults with the list at Indie Storm that I identified like that night through all the beers, and I was just like, I need to fix this, and added in the Ice Blade, changed out my Human Clansman Horde for Ice Nyads, such, such, and such, so... The army wasn't completely fresh, but that was the first time I played with that list was the first round at Best of the Rest. Now, is the usual thing with those Ice Queens to drop the breath for the free surge had, had you played with the ice breast that much most things i've seen is people are, are dropping that for the surge i had but then i've also noticed too is that when if and when my ice elementals die they're very bored <laughs> they don't have That's anything to... no that at least late that late game clicking damage can be really good and I, that's actually that's that's happened in some of my games where i just like i just need to put a wound on something and then sometimes with the the synergies that Ice Queens have with if a unit gets frozen, when she attacks that unit, she gets to reroll a missed die. So it's essentially it's like a it's like a free conjure staff for having put frozen on something. So got it. And then she can her heal does that then on the ice elementals too, right? Because the Any, well, anything ice. that's anything that's frostbound. So Krim is frostbound. The ice naiads are frostbound, and the ice elementals are frostbound. So. All my ice queens are basically getting conjurer staff when it comes to healing or you know whatever on those on those three units types. So. Also, I just want to say I love the idea that uh, that Felix was going to fix his list because it's it's that's such an interesting word because any change you make to these lists, like you get better somewhere and then you simultaneously get worse the other in another direction, right? So right. it's just kind of it's like yeah, I'm going to fix this. It's like oh well, I broke it against something else. But uh, I do that all the time. You turn up one knob that turns up that turns down another knob in three rooms in the back of your house that you forgot was even there, and then you know totally. Yeah, it's 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 the it's the essential engineering problem where you're trying to optimize within you know constraints the constraints of twenty three hundred points. Well, cool, Eric. Why don't you take us through your orc list that you brought to Masters? So yeah, the orcs orcs kind of or you know they're a blunt instrument. Um, they don't really have uh, a whole lot of exceptional units. They're, they're kind of uh, handicapped in many ways. We have no shooting. Um, we have average casters. Uh, our flyers are good if you're if that's your jam. Um, there aren't really any good, very many good chaff options. 
Um, there's and there's but most of all there's there's not a ton of variety, right? So um, what I did with my list is I tried to make kind of the best of a bad hand by kind of showcasing the exceptional units and try, just try to put them in a place to be successful. So uh, kind of the core of the list, or I guess you start with the chaff because I really think that third is is the chaff edition um, is uh, six regiments of Orklings. So the this is kind of a, a nod to the Kyle Pool trash meta that we talked about uh, a little while ago. But the bottom line is is that Orklings suck, like they really suck. They're even you could even I would even argue that they're overcosted at sixty points. Um, if you look at like you know sixty five points for for dwarf mastiffs that are better in every way, they they don't have a whole lot going for them. Um, their most positive quality is that they are technically a unit. And they can technically be in the way, um, sometimes of my stuff, but m- hopefully more often my opponent. Kind of the deployment rule for these guys is that they have to move 10 inches on turn one um, so that everybody can get ahead. Um, what happens a lot is uh, opponents waver them, um, and that makes me sad, but chances are that your opponent can't waver six of them. <laughs> and since my orcs play the entire table, like uh, literally I'm trying to play seven, 72 inches uh, a 72-inch front. Fooled around with a few other options. I was running uh, chariot regiments for a while, but they were just too expensive, and uh, and I just always felt like I was chasing chasing dice uh, running those guys. Um, finally, uh, there's a real good player from Charleston, Dan Payne, who absolutely devoured me with a uh, a, uh, a Reaper Night Stalker list uh, at uh, Gem City uh, early this year. And uh, that was that. <laughs> I was like, okay, these, these got to figure something out. So I replaced uh, chariot regiments with uh, with the orklings. Sort of the stars of the list. So that's it for chaff. Um, and chaff is incredibly important. Um, but uh, the meat of the list is uh, three hordes of great axe, uh, all of them a skull pole. Um, and these are kind of the stars of the show. Um, so kind of the premise. So this list is that people out there in the current meta don't really play infantry, but cavalry and large infantry is common. So if you can build a list that consistently one-shots, dash 17, defense 5, you can murder most armies as long as you're hitting first. Um, so in this role, kind of the great acts are the stars. They have unit strength 4. Um, they've got deep nerve 21, 23, um, and they'll average 11 wounds against defense 5 plus brutal. Um, so that means I basically need an extra two wounds from somewhere to put, you know, dash 17 defense five on snakes, and that's on average dice. So uh, you can almost always find two wounds somewhere um, from heroes or what have you. Uh, and uh, so basically, if my opponent didn't bring 20 plus nerve units to the party, it's probably going to be a pretty short party. So uh, those are my big hordes. Um, the list also has three regiments of Morax with skull poles. So these guys are a quality light hammer that uh, come in at 180 points. They're also an unlock, which I can use to unlock heroes, which I need a lot of in this list. And they punch really hard. They hit on they hit on threes with crushing one, 20 attacks. They got some wild charge, which helps them out, allows me to do some stuff. Um, you know, because I have so much chaff, usually I don't need to be fast, but invariably it's helpful to, you know, a few extra inches, never hurt anybody. Um, and uh, and they punch hard, right? You can, uh, you know, they'll average six wounds against defense five, which is, you know, reasonable for a regiment. So uh, that's all the heavy infantry I have. And then I guess uh, we have 
a war drum, which is gives rally two. I usually try to deploy that to uh, so uh, to kind of buff the Morax because dash fifteen is a little, you know, um, you you can get one shot pretty easy with dash fifteen defense four. Uh, dash seventeen is a little tougher to get through. Um, I've got uh, three crudgers. These guys are super quality. Um, really, really like the crudgers. Uh, Twelve fourteen. They're mighty. They inspire. Uh, they can put two wounds on defense five sometimes. Um, and uh, yeah, they do good work. If you got to inspire stuff, right? You might as well have it punch stuff too. I was running around with a bane chant in this list for a while. Uh, I had a uh, shaman with the talisman and bane chant, and just found that didn't make sense because there's a lot of lists out there that I just don't need bane chant against, right? So, um, I mean, I, it would be nice to have in the list if I'm fighting earth elementals, but not everybody has earth elementals. A lot of, you know, there's a lot of defense four out there, and in which case you'd always rather have a crudger than a than a you know inspiring pain chanter, um, and then uh, probably b- the most important thing in the list as far as heroes go are the three three crushers on mounts. Um, these guys are kind of like the Swiss Army knife. Uh, they can chaff up a back row. They can hunt war machines. They can put one wound on anything. Usually, uh, they can punch casters. They can. Um, Come and join a multi assault to uh, to you know get that extra wound that puts the person on you know on uh, five plus rather than seven plus, which is basically a forty percent swing if you're rolling it twice. Right, uh, you're only thirty five percent to get seven twice on a nerve check, um, and you're you know about thirty percent to fail uh, if you're on fives twice. So. At that point of the bell curve, like two wounds really matters, and these guys are the masters of kind of delivering that extra that extra wound. Um, the other thing that these guys are really super good at, and this is important for my list, is uh, to affect the base placement um, for for things on charges, for things like avoiding being hindered, or to modify my final. Um, my final placement so that I can push forward towards an objective or in the way of some other thing. And that played a, a big role in a lot of my games uh, that I played at Masterist. Yeah, that's an interesting strategy. I think we probably talked about that on um, List Builder Studio at some point. The idea of uh, moving a unit or uh, moving a character uh, and not actually charging a target, but putting them in a position so that when you charge with the unit that you actually want, when it slides over, it won't go to its uh, its final placing if those pieces you put weren't in the way. So it's uh, a, an idea of being able to decide where the unit will end when it's made its combat alignment. Yeah, exactly. Well, I know... Um, uh, Eric, you're a longtime orc player, but I know you and Kyle and all the the chat cave guys get a lot of games in. So had this been had this? I know you've been playing orcs and testing for third, like really hardcore. But this exact list, had you? How many times do you think? How many reps had you got in with this exact list? So um, the chariot version of this list that had uh, three chariot, four chariot hordes, or four chariot regiments instead of orklings, um, I probably was playing that for uh, three months 
until I finally realized that it was second class and that I needed actual chaff instead of like good units that are just hard to kill, right? Because nobody loves to spend 360 points on on Orklings. Um, I probably played this exact thing probably uh, – I probably got 40 reps with it before the Masters, which um, sounds like a lot, and I guess it is a lot. But I probably um, – I mean I play with I play with Kyle and Steve Malone. They are top, top, top players. Uh, and Dave Baker also. Um, these are really good players. Uh, probably – to at least two games a week, probably closer to three or four. And uh, yeah. can't confirm it's probably closer to three. Well, and that's how I mean that's how you get better, right? You need to be you, you don't learn a lot from perpetual success. You know, you need to play against tough players, and you need to lose games to figure it out. Yeah, you gotta you gotta lose, right? You gotta you gotta get beat up. You gotta play rough, and you gotta get you gotta get beat. Um, and and that's part of the thing. It's like. If you're going to get those kind of top reps against top players, you you got to cultivate that group, right? And that's what I think we've really done in the Midwest is that we have a, a good group who plays rough. Um, we're not afraid to lose. We're not afraid to try new ideas. We play nice together. And and it's it's a really it's a really good scene. I'm really blessed for that. There's no way there's no way I go to the Masters and do as well as I did if I don't have Kyle and Steve and Andrew to you know to to play with the those guys are absolutely essential uh and you know Felix those are you always do the rounds right you put together your list and then you go you make sure you play Felix you make sure you play Mike Carter you make sure you play all the Dayton kids the Kara Browns and Amy Stampers and make sure you know it's it's a process right <laughs> and right. it seems to work because if you're if you're roughing up those guys consistently you're going to go to the tournament and you're going to do well Right, because wasn't there a time before between the the chariots and the orklings? Weren't you like experimenting with skulks for a while there? Yeah, there was a there was a, there was a moment like poor Felix. I show up in Dayton with a with a three slasher with a three slasher four skulk list to accompany the uh, the great axe, and uh, it was it was nasty, but it's also it's also a twelve drop list, right? 12 drop list if you're you know that's are very fragile right if if the dice go wrong or somebody like i remember i played a game with that list against kyle and he played an na list and ended up breathing on some it just handled me <laughs> he just absolutely handled me um so i was you know and that kind of put me off that i was like okay so this is it's too fragile right if stuff doesn't go 100% your way you're you're going to you're in for a bad day right but like you know er- jeremy mentions it on the show a bunch of times and it's it's it's, it's true and we mentioned in our group as well you know iron sharpens iron none of us have you know the tournament successes we have without playing each other yeah you know yeah so it's that's true. just just how it goes you know yeah, even though i'm like the I'm like the imposter syndrome guy in this in the secret chat cave. What successes I do have, I mean, I don't get those. Man, just. that's the thing that's so hilarious <laughs> about you, Felix. Though, is that you have no idea. You're like you have no idea why you're part of us, but that just totally explains why you are part of us. Because you're like the elite hobby guy who wants to play well, 
And, um, but invariably, you're not obsessively wired for the min-max autism the way the rest of us are. <laughs> like, ultimately, like, you recognize that playing army men with friends and cracking jokes is ultimately what the scene's about. And you are absolutely beloved by, you know, by all, you know, it's like you, you, you help us keep it light. You're, I, I do you're post a lot of the funny gifts in, yeah. in the Secret Chef. Yeah, you're, kind of you're, the, you're the cool guy. Yeah, well, that, well that. that's true. That is that's how he gets people down into the murder basement, right? Because <laughs> everyone likes him so much. I think if for uh, it's almost like we've talked about the murder basement so much. I don't feel like I need to describe like why you why you have the murder basement. So for the new listeners, I think that I'm just not going to describe it, and then now it'll be like a mystery for them to figure out what is the murder basement. So. But yeah, I mean, there there's certain things like you know I have certainly learned to dance with my ice elementals a lot better with games against Eric and Kyle, y'all there, and stuff like that. Like, just this is kind of how it goes, and so we are able to fight these fights. And like I said, that uh, you know Eric's like again, he he developed this list over multiple reps, and so like. I think just kind of he hit the kind of where the orcs needed to be to be able to do what he did at Masters. Cool. So why don't why don't first Felix? Why don't we go through your games first off before you give uh, your games? Uh, what was your sense of the armies? You know, I didn't get a chance to look at the um, best of the rest armies, and I know you're a hobby guy. We we've hobbied for right. hours together. What was your sense on the best of the rest army army wise, and just the pain at Masters in general? I mean, the paint of Masters, I mean, obviously, you talk about that top tier of paint at the Masters side. It's just, I mean, the Dustin Howards and the Austin Kerrigans and the Mike Atkins and the Scott Holcombs and even Rashad and you. And I mean, it's just like the list goes on. And I hate to offend for like Munzel. All the guys are just like excellent top painters. It's just like, holy crap. And best of the rest, I mean, obviously, I would say there's still some that are really good in, in, you know, in that top third, you know. Um, I'd say there's definitely some that could have competed with, um, with that, but, you know, I know Eric and I have talked about this a bunch of times since masters, but, uh, in terms of list construction, I almost think like the, the best of the rest lists were a little more fun. Yeah, I totally, I totally agree with that. It's like the masters, like people go into the masters are so risk averse. Like they put a lot of, a lot of thought in it. I think in a lot of, and you know, a lot of reps, and I think they it made them almost risk averse to a certain extent because there wasn't a whole lot of like playful. I wouldn't say there. Were, I think there were more fresh ideas over on the best or the rest side of the house than there were on the master side. Morgoth the mandatory, you know. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Everybody had Morgoth, except for Brian Tucker. Yeah. Brian Tucker, he, no he had four dragons or three or four dragons or what it was <laughs> instead. And I, I will credit. Where credit is due, Chris Fisher came up with the Morgoth the Mandatory, so we just lay that out there. That was his phrase. No, I think that's interesting because you bring up a good point. Like you see it a lot in all in like magic or lots of competitive other competitive board games or miniature games. You know, the dice are random and you're trying to take everything out of the game besides that that has high variance, right? And usually right. the most point efficient a thing is the lower on that variance it becomes because you want to get for this point, well, how can I get the most value out of it, period? That's kind of like what informs your list design usually at Masters. 
Right. And then third ed is third ed is is uh, is new. Right. So we haven't had a year to kick it around and build new ideas. So I think that there there was it, I don't know. It felt like people over at the best side of the room were having, you know, there was a little bit more spring in the step and mirth over there than it was over at the masters. I mean, not not to say that the lists were all just like, hey, I just picked these things. and the There were some nasty lists at best of the rest. I'm not I'm not going to downplay some of the lists in there. Like, I know Ed Fisk from Baltimore, he had a League of Rorty list that had three honor guard hordes. And that was just like, ugh, I want nothing to do with that. Um, but yeah, I think it's just a little more variety, it seemed like. Uh, we actually had more Imperial Dwarves. Than, uh, actually, there were no free Dwarves in the best of the rest, so that was kind of interesting to see because like, there was only one Imperial Dwarf in the Masters, but there was no free Dwarves in the best of the rest, so that was yeah. kind of an interesting juxtaposition. Rossi, Rossi had to go to the other tournament so he could see his people, his subjects. <laughs> got, got to be, yeah. So, so it was just interesting. There was just a lot of very... Uh, I guess it's interesting. There's a, a lot of the Northeast guys that came out of that. I mean, sure, me, Andrew, and Kyle were some of the folks out of the Midwest that you know came up for best of the rest. But there's a lot of Northeast guys. <laughs> yeah, there's your there's your kiddie pool. Go go play Andrew Summers <laughs> <laughs> or Kyle Pool or yeah. It's I know, right? Not, oh not my quite god. The, the kiddie pool is not that shallow. What can we say? It was pretty deep. But yeah, so that, that's the one thing is as a list observation. I really, I mean. All right, I said it in the matchup podcast. I mean, can we all talk about Ray Wyant's thirty goblin or thirty zombie regiment lists? Like that is ah. just, <laughs> I mean, full model count. And see, look at the names you just mentioned. You mentioned you mentioned Ray's name. You mentioned Kyle's name. You mentioned Andrew Summers' names, and they weren't in Masters this year. But those, there was so many people at that the best of the rest who were on previous year's master teams or play at that level. So it was a stacked, but both sides of the room had a lot of talent. Jake Chibata or whatever. Oh, yeah. Pikachu. Yeah. Pikachu. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. A whole bunch of folks. I mean, Ashley Mowat, she was on master's team last year. So a lot of folks in best of the rest, there were also masters. So, you know, so it's like, you know, I, I did not wade in there thinking it was going to be an easy tournament for me. So, I mean, it was a lot of good, good, talented players on, on both sides. It's just, you know, is what it is. Sometimes just folks just can't qualify because they didn't play enough or uh, but I, I did kind of get the vibe that it was a little bit more of a relaxed vibe because it's like none of us are winning masters. So it's just like, eh. well, here's the thing, Felix. Next year, if the hosts have a side event, are you going to go again? Oh, definitely. That's the be. I mean, depending on if, unless it's like way flung out and this coronavirus thing hasn't like calmed down. But uh, given that, I mean, I would definitely recommend anybody if it's in your area, go because that was what holding me back the previous couple of years because I had wanted to go, but hell, I get bored watching my games played, much less watching other people play. <laughs> so, like, I wasn't gonna go just to watch other people's play. But this gave me an excuse to okay, I can go there and spend the monies to go to go play, um, and you're still getting five really tough games against really skilled opponents. I wish I could have traded you. I could have traded you my six games. I gladly have taken your five. <laughs> right, we can talk about that later. But you know, to be able to have that feel and the like you've said in previous podcasts, the the celebration of Kings of War that Masters is. I mean, we had a, over 110 people in one room, 
it was a massive room, but like to have all these people that absolutely love the game as much as we do, like it was just, it was amazing. Like I really, I would a hundred percent go again, you know, given, you know, circumstances and money and all that stuff. Like I would suggest anybody go to a best of the rest. Cool. Yeah, no, I thought it was a great thing. Um, I think that uh, I won't be surprised to see now as part of Masters, you know, it is not mandatory to run a side event, but I wouldn't be surprised even if they're small that that starts to become an element of Masters weekend. And then who knows what we'll have 10 years from now at Masters weekend. I'll be flying the, me and Rashad will have the cheese blimp just flying over the arena and people would be doing bungee <laughs> jumping or who, whatever. There you whatever go. It, is. it would be crazy. So, um, cool. Well, why don't you take us through your games? Right. So, uh, my first round matchup was against Steve MacArthur, uh, out of, uh, Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I'd actually met Steve last year at King beyond the wall and really super. I mean, I mean, he's Canadian. So you really have to like, lower the you have to change the metrics on niceness because they're all super nice so uh but super great guy got to hang out with him last year didn't get to play him so it was nice to actually get to play him he had an ogres list um we were playing dominate so so for those who didn't know like best of the rest and masters were all playing the same scenarios so when eric talks about his round one and he was also playing dominate we all had the same maps layout so he was roughly playing the same maps as I was as well. So um, nothing really too crazy on that one. Uh, he had a surprisingly shooty list with two hordes of ogre shooters. And uh, he had the, uh, even though they've been capped a little bit in third edition, he had those ogre warlock batteries of just getting a crap ton of lightning bolts coming in. Uh, I just, I, I misplayed. I played wrong. Eh, you know, it happens. Uh, he ended up beating me 14 to or 17 to or, no, hold on. Yeah, 17 to four. So although surprisingly, I was happy with that result because I didn't think I earned four points, but I did. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I can't imagine there ever being another Masters event without a best of the rest to go along with it because it just added so much. It just added so much. And then you can go with all your mates, right? It's not just the people who qualified. It becomes more community-oriented. Yeah, and it really does then become like a event weekend. I mean, it was an event weekend already, but now it's like even more of that Super Bowl weekend, which is what really Masters should be. Um, right, exactly. Yeah. Good, excellent point of phrase. I like that, Super Bowl weekend, because yeah, that's exactly what it is. Right? And that's really kind of what it's become. It's not just a tournament. It's the hangouts beforehand. It's the aftermath. You know, it really has become uh, a, an extravaganza. But um, cool. Well, we heard about Felix's first game. Eric, why don't you take us through your 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 first game? So I played Dominate against Brian Ring from uh, the Northeast. Uh, he was an absolute gentleman. We had a really fun game. Um, he, I had played his list. Kyle had proxied his list up a few times for me, so I knew what I was in for. He had a super interesting Night Stalker list that I actually thought was the best of any of the Night Stalker lists at the event. He had uh, two regiments of, of uh, Reapers, two troops of Reapers, a couple of Void Lurkers, uh, a horde of crows, uh, and some other chaff, a couple of uh, troops of phantoms, um, and the horrors with the lightning bolt and the uh, vicious aura, as you do. Um, and he played it really well. Like, I was kind of, I don't really rate Night Stalkers against my list because I was just like, okay, well, I can one shot anything you've got. Um, so I just need you to, 
I just need you to fight me. Um, and then uh, actually did some stuff on the flanks with the Void Lurkers, which is hard to do against uh, my list because I play so thick. Like, I try to play all 72 inches. I got, you know, 54 inches of frontage on my uh on my army, so I try to use as much table as I can. But uh, at the end of the day, he basically ran out of time because uh, he was uh, trying to really work some flank stuff with the Void Lurkers and didn't have a ton of experience running his own list. He uh, eventually kind of caught up with him. He had to make some make some hurried decisions and ended up uh, losing a bunch of stuff. And it was a 21 uh, to me or 20 point victory for me. Absolutely top player though. I was, I told him after the game though, I was like, man, you are going to win a ton of games. Just hang in there. And sure enough, he ended up going four and two. So cool. And that's the thing at masters, you know, as, as will come up, they're really, I mean, the quality of play is so high that, and, but it's a game that usually one player still has to win. So, I mean, it really does come down to like these, the thinnest of thin mistakes or do I, or do I not, I do not get a turn seven. So, you know, the, the play is very high throughout that whole event, um, which is why it's masters, why it's so cool. So, okay. What about your second game, Felix? Take us through your second game. Okay. Uh, my second game was, uh, scenario was push. Uh, I was playing Chris Rabello out of Cape Cod. Uh, he he's a he's actually a game store owner. He owns GameNight.net, so shout out to his store. Um, he uh, like I said, we were playing Push, and he had a dwarf army. So uh, I ended up facing two dwarf armies during uh, my tournament. So he had uh, you know kind of a standard for Imperial dwarves. So he had you know. Sharpshooter regiments, Earth Elementals, Shieldbreaker regiments, so Shieldbreaker, uh, Ironclad Horde. Was it an uh, Shieldbreaker Horde? I can't recall. I think it was a Shieldbreaker Horde. What else did he have? Uh, so it was two, the Earth Elemental Hordes, Iron, a couple Iron Guard regiments, stuff like that. Super good game. Um, uh, my Ice Blade with Wings of Honey Maze, I, I'd say she was the MVP of this match. Um, she ate up a ton of shots from all his throwing Mastiffs, took seven wounds, but still survived because she's dash 14. And in the course of the game, she destroyed three cannons and a sharpshooter troop. So, I mean, she was just baller, just taking out things left and right. Yeah, she did not fail to one-shot a dwarf cannon at all this GT like he was just just one shotting four engines uh, which I guess you would get with uh, 21 attacks with hitting on threes or crush one I mean not many war engines can stand up to that super tight game and actually when the game ended it had gone to seven I thought he had won because I had three tokens he had four tokens so I had marked it off as a loss but then we were looking to see the scoring and see what the differential was because we were all using blackjack scoring. And then I was looking it up and realized he needed to be fully on my side of the board. And he had about an inch of his unit still on his side of the board. So instead of being a 8-4 to four loss or 8-3, to 8-6 to six loss, it was a 6-4 to four win for me. So, um, But super great game. Chris is a, he's a gentleman. He took the loss you know that that we both didn't know was coming uh like a champ so super excellent tight game i mean he he murderized me there was not much left on the board for me so it did, ended up just being a uh, 14-7 win for me so 
Okay, Eric, what about your second game? So um, I played Tim Smith out of the Southeast. Um, so there's been a lot of talk about War Machines uh, in third and how they're uh, busted or not busted or need to be nerfed or not nerfed. And uh, I had played uh, this particular gentleman a couple of weeks previously at uh, Indie Storm. Um, I beat him at Indie Storm, uh, but there's a it was unfortunate that i did because he he made a bunch of changes to his list based on based on that game which made his list a lot harder to for me to deal with um he came with at indie he didn't really uh have a bunch of chaff and then at uh at the masters he shows up and he had two or three uh troops of of uh of what do you call it the little mob beast guys um, which was enough to make his trolls able to get in. So um, the mission was push, and uh, his war machines were absolutely on fire. He was deleting units all over the place. I took, I gave my, uh, put my three tokens on my left flank, and uh, where there was a piece of terrain in his deployment over on the other end, so I was confident I would be able to get them easily. But he had his artillery in the middle and just made a giant, crater where my army used to be um he blew up everything he to put his tokens across he was um had uh he deployed them over on my right flank and he had a uh, a rabble horde and a troll horde directly behind the rabble horde and he put three the three push tokens on those guys um, and when he did that, I kind of figured I might be able to hold that rabble horde up because he was so close to the board. He wasn't able to slide over a multi-assault with the trolls in the back. So I kind of figured I might be able to uh, put a defense five hero in front of that rabble horde and stop him from getting his three across. Um, and that's exactly what ended up happening. Um, long story short, he killed my whole army. Um, but I got my three across, and he grabbed the one in the middle, pushed it over to my side, and was not able to kill all of the heroes and stuff that I just kept shoving in the way of that rabble horde um, that had the trolls with the tokens behind it. And uh, when the dust settled, I had no army and uh, a six to five victory. So it was a uh, 12 knock. Yeah, and congrats again to Tim Smith for he went on to win Paragon and he won Clash of Kings last year. Really solid gentleman. He runs uh, one of the tournament runners of uh, TNT, which is a really cool wrestling-themed tournament that I hope to go to this year for the first time, but uh, great guy. So, um, Okay, so that was your second game, so we're going into the third game. Tell us about your third game, Felix. Yeah, and I would say, uh, adding on, TNT is an amazing GT. I was there last summer. Definitely, if you're anywhere within probably a 50-state area of Tennessee to, to, to go there, it is, it's a fun time. So, uh, anyways, round three. Uh, so coming off of a fairly middling loss and then a middling win, uh, going to third round three, that was Smoke and Mirrors. I got to play Anthony Fasano from New Jersey with his Empire of Dust. And uh, I guess in a way I kind of did the Kevin Von Felton kind of honey-hold him. 
because I don't have a great record against Empire of Dust, and I had yet to lose, yet to win a game of Smoke and Mirrors. Uh, so I was really not feeling confident um, in, in that matchup uh, against him. Uh, turns out I've played against Empire of Dust more times than he had had reps with the list. He was fairly new to Empire of Dust, so uh, uh, that was uh, it, it. Definitely is one of those. I just my more experience with my army than his army, and I kind of outsearched shenanigan him even with my just two units and giving him bad charges and stuff like that. And just, you know, it's the ice naiads. They were baller in that one. Uh, cause 24 attacks from the mummies hitting on fives is not exactly going to murder much of anything. So, uh, so I ended up uh, taking a pretty big win out of that one. I think I got 20 on that one. Um, but great player. He just, you know, it's just, I think he just was newer. Um, he hadn't quite faced against Northern Alliance. Like he put all his high defense units like right in front of my hammers. Cause you know, who doesn't care about a defense six Pharaoh that's Harim with his crush four and brutal. <laughs> like he just doesn't care. So, uh, stuff like that. And so I, I, he's got, he's got the potential with his army. And so, you know, I, and I think he ended up winning some more games in day two. So, you know, uh, I was pretty excited to see kind of how he ended up doing at the end. But, uh, yeah, so it ended up being a pretty big win for me. So so you had one middling win, one middling loss, one really good win. So you were right. almost playing well enough to not win anything, but too good to win Countercharger. So you're, like, on, on track. Exactly. That's pretty much <laughs> that's pretty much what it was, yeah. So. <laughs> and, uh, spoiler, that was the end of my day. So we only played three days for the first day for Best of the Rest. So. That is true. So we get to hear about uh, Eric's last both his last two games because we did uh, how they did at masters has been said on a bunch of shows best of the rest played three games and masters we played four remind me of what is it uh, uh kingpin when he like bowls the extra rounds uh i don't know if any of you go back and watch that movie but why don't you take us through your third and fourth game so uh game three i played uh uh just off of my uh experience uh with the war machines of tim smith uh which while he's a lovely gentleman playing against war machines is like a trip to the dentist um who's waiting for me in round uh three but uh keith randall with his collection of uh, kingdoms of men uh artillery uh so he had uh i guess five or six cannons and or bombards or whatever, six war machines, a mine screech allied in, some ensnare hordes, yada yada yada. And uh and then the most important part of his list is the uh he's got like uh five or six uh flyers that unit strength one flyers like wizards on Pegasus or generals on flying mounts or what have you. So Here's how this goes. He shoots you, he shoots you, he shoots you. And then he flies over your head and goes squats on uh, objectives because uh, your army's all been killed by cannon shots. Um, As you do. All right. Uh, so I have actually – I actually sparred this list a little bit before Masters, but – Keith just plays it on another level. Like he understands what he's doing. He understands what you're going to do. He understands the pressure you're under and to have an all infantry army. That's all slow was, was 
really, really, really tough going against this list. Anyway, long story short, as it turned out, I was able to score. He actually had a, there were a couple of pivotal plays. Um, I just finished murdering something. I, on uh, my left flank, and was already positioned to double time and grab three points worth of objectives and smoke and mirrors on turn six. And what happens? Keith shows up with this brilliant wind blast and blows my unit uh, five inches or four inches sideways and into a pile of mud so that it won't be able to double time. <laughs> And so now, um, now I'm on the back foot, and instead of winning on six, I'm going to lose on six. And uh, fortunately, a bunch of stuff happened, and I don't even remember if we went six or seven. Um, I remember the game. Oh no, I, it went six, right? Because I was we drew on six, and I was so upset that I drew on six because I was surely going to win on seven. He's like, yes, you were going to win on seven, but, and then he pointed out to me, and this is, I think we've all been in games like this that are just so mentally taxing and so exhausting that you don't even recall all the things that occurred or you forget the important things that occurred. There was this instance where I charged a wizard in the mud, a, a 10, 12 wizard in the mud, three wounds to him. And then murdered him on a nine twice, which is to, so to do three wounds with a crusher who has only three attacks, a hindered assault on the guy. Can I have no reasonable expectation to expect that I'm gonna I'm gonna kill this guy? I'm just trying to disorder him so that he can't fly and jump on an objective, and managed to kill him. And he said, "Oh yeah, well, you know, if you don't kill this wizard with three attacks in the mud." On turn on turn six, uh, I'm going to win by a point. <laughs> and I, to which I said, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." So anybody can do it, right? You look look back at your game and you're like, oh, "I was so unlucky." But in saying that you're so unlucky, you're forgetting all the exceptional luck that you did have to win, lose, or draw. You know, in the first place. So fair play to you, Keith. Uh, game ends on six. It was a ten ten draw down the middle. And I think at that point we both sort of breathed a sigh of relief because neither of us thought we were going to be able to win it at that point. So, you know, now it's time to have fun. You're not, you're not going to win the Masters. Just have a good time, right? So uh, so we went and got a beer afterwards, and that was that. Cool, yeah. Sometimes you run into those games where it's like you almost w- want a tie, uh, you know, uh, or you'd happy to take a tie against those really tough lists. Uh, well, before we go on to your your uh, uh, fourth game, just really quickly, at seeing kind of you got to play two of the sort of skeletons in the closet or whatever you want to see boogeyman type lists that were going into that uh, event of that War Machine heavy list. Like, what's your sort of thought on the War Machine list in general, and also how it did or did not do at Masters? So, so originally, my position was, well, it's you know, it's because I'm, I'm a power gaming weenie, right? I mean, I know I know myself. Um, so I was like, okay, well, I just have to figure out how to play and get good against them, right? Because they're going to be out there. So if you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. You got to beat these beat these lists. Um, but I've listened to a lot of like other opinions, like that were pretty much, uh, you know, I listened to all of Brian Tucker's. Uh, 
soliciting opinions on on the topic and he actually persuaded me um that they should be i think um curtailed in some in some way by uh in some manner um and the reason being for for the fun factor cuz the the fun factor playing these things i don't think anybody really enjoys uh playing six six war machine lists um it's not fun watching your stuff get beat up and you're just desperately it's just playing an entirely different game right um so yeah that's kind of that's kind of where i am if they do something about it that'll be great if they do nothing about it i'm at peace with that too um yeah, because to me it's it, to me it's more about and you saw how they did at Masters. It's not that they're unbeatable; they're going to win every tournament. Is that like you said? It's just not super fun to play against. So if they doesn't get fixed, you're going to. I don't think we'll see as many people play them once they see that it's not maybe a guaranteed win, and your opponents probably aren't going to like you very much. Maybe it'll right. work itself out of the meta. The other thing is, and here's this is more of a process like idea. Like I, I have no problem getting four games a week to prepare for Masters with my list against like uh, Kyle and Steve and Felix and those guys, because my list is honest, right? It's it's fun to play against. There's things you can do. They get to play their game, right? Right. They, like I can't imagine that there's somebody in Nashville who wants to play Keith Randall's six cannon list, you know, twice a week to get him ready for Masters, right? Can you see? Do you see that? Yeah, you know, I don't know. It's like yeah, I, can see, I can't say I see it. <laughs> like, I could see I, not play, playing Keith because uh, I just hate him as a human being. No, I'm kidding. I love Keith. No, no. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> it, it, it's a list that you're making for a real specific purpose, which is to try to win tournaments. Which you know, again, I don't want. I try to win tournaments, so I can't be all like I don't try to make lists that are good. But I just think there is just something about the the undynamism of that sort of encounter, which is I'm running at you while you shoot me, and if you roll well, I die, and if you don't, maybe I have a chance. But I think it's going to be interesting. I think the the big thing you said you said is we're still so early, so I mean who knows? Um, and and I'll I'll say like my game against George and George's list was super nasty. That was probably my funnest game at Masters, um, uh, of being. I like the challenge of being in a situation where I got to really force myself to come up with some way to win. Um, so that was a, a rough game, but was probably one of my favorite games from Masters. So, um, yeah. So you, did you, you played, uh, you played Keith or you played, I played George O'Connell's list. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. His, his list was very interesting as well. Yeah. Very he tough. Had those, he had the blasters. How did you, how did you fare against the blasters? Um, I allowed one of them to charge me in the flank because I'm so short. I couldn't see over a piece of terrain and realize he could see me. So, but thankfully, when that happened, uh, he had one bad roll, and I, I, ha- I was sitting very good tactically. And when he, when I gave him that one small mistake, uh, and he, he couldn't capitalize on it, it ended up not being a big deal. But, but that game was really tough. I just hid. That way, we were playing smoke and mirrors. I put my tokens places to where he didn't have great fire lines on, and just got my units my defense five iron resolve heal and he could only shoot at me with all the chip damage and none of the bigger war machines 
and I just sort of just outlasted, but um, it was a tough a tough uh, game for sure. Um, that was my third game, so I was play- I played him uh, game three. So um, yeah, that is not a walk in the park. Um, it was tough. That- it was hard, hard game. Um, yeah, and then so that put me three and zero. So th- we- I wonder how close we were in round four. Uh, to getting a matched up because uh, well both most of my three wins were all really close so I wasn't sitting on super super I didn't have any big big wins but who did you end up playing in round four so round four I ended up playing uh, Brian Tucker interestingly with the famous four dragon lists um, so I, in my opinion uh, Flyers got super beat up in third ed reason being um, the base sizes are all 75 now instead of 50 and there's a ton more that you can do with a 50 than you can do with a 75. Um, also, they're 300 points, so if you grab one of those, it means you're missing a big fat unit somewhere. Um, so I didn't really like. I understand like there's a certain class of lists that probably really compete with find it really hard to compete with four flyers, but my list just isn't one of them. I play 72 inches on the table, um, and I have chaff for days, so it was really tough for for. Chris and or uh, for I'm sorry there's a Chris Tucker also uh for for Brian and uh and yeah he got beat up um uh, it was a I guess a 17 point win for me um he had a horde of zombies that grabbed a that skillfully showed his skill for sure grabbing a loot token early and then moving zombies on top of it um, and I was never able to get that loot token. Um, uh, he had things could have gone bad for me, um, but I was fortunate. I had some steady dice, and I didn't snakes anything big, and got the wounds on the wraiths when I needed them. And yeah, so things went good, and uh, it was a seventeen four to me. And you mentioned it too, because the only way, and Brian mentioned it on his show, the only way a big flying dragon list like that can do against big hordes of infantry is to try to get into a flank somewhere. That's right, and you just deny him so much board space playing a long line. Like, like where is he going to land his dragons to threaten flanks? Sure, and there's all kinds of – so here's the thing. Like, um, I'm eternally grateful for all the million times that Steve Malone and Kyle Poole have just removed my orcs with the various flying lists because it teaches you to, to play against that. So there's all kinds of tricks that you can do. Like moving your hordes up adjacent and leaving no lips such that you can't place a flyer in there, that just gets easier when the flyers are on 75s. So everything's two inches apart instead of – they used to be one inch apart. Now they can be two inches apart. You can't land a 75 mil flyer. So now they need rears, right? How do they get rears? Well, they have to fly over you and turn around, right? And you can prevent that. Awesome. So uh, that was the end of the the game four, which was the end of the day one for Masters. And um, cool, Felix. Why don't you take us? Uh, you know, anything you guys got up to Saturday night, and then after that, why don't you just take us into your first game on day two? Uh, basically, uh, I know while you guys were playing your game four, uh, me, Kyle Prasinski, and Frederick Berthelsen of the Giant Door Podcast were basically Statler and Wardorfing it up. And just like casting dispersions on the Masters players while we were drinking and eating brown cheese uh, that Fred had so lovingly brought from Norway. Uh, that was pretty cool. Um, I think kind of – it was in a casino. 
Uh, so I think all the kind of different groups went to different restaurants. I myself ended up with uh, a lot of you guys out of the West Coast, Pacific Northwest at the one steakhouse that they had there. Um, so that was really cool. Getting to hang out with Fred uh, was also really cool, too, because he, he is an awesome gentleman. I know Jake talks really highly of him in the latest episode of Unplugged Radio, but he, he is an a- absolute gem. Uh, I know his head just getting bigger and bigger as he listens to this right now, but awesome you to hang out with. So that was pretty cool. Um, rolling into Sunday morning, I uh, got matched up against the handsome man, Grant Fetter, out of uh, Chicago. Uh, he and I have known each other for a little while now. Uh, we traveled up to Lady of the Lake together uh, two years ago. Um, he had his like wall of defense six. Uh, we were playing control for round Four for best of the rest, round five for Masters. Uh, that was a very interesting uh, terrain setup, and I, I know for – well, I haven't said it, but I'm pretty 100% certain that these were all set – terrains were set up with uh, the, the, the mission and objectives in mind because they had two of the impassable pieces of terrain in the middle of your deployment zone. So for control, it makes it really tough to kind of – it basically sectioned off – each half of the board. So, so basically, we, me and Grant basically had early on had to declare like which side of the board we were fighting on. Um, super nice game. Uh, I think uh, ultimately Grant ended up winning, but it was a pretty close win. I think he got a fifteen-six out of me. Uh, I don't he think playing, he had really uh, abyssal dwarves. Abyssal Dwarves. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Rob told me he did nasty things to poor Rob. Rob's like, oh, I'm going to go to and have a really, I, I think it was Indie Storm, right? Right, uh, yeah. Rob's like, I'm going to go have a great game with Grant. It's going to be so much fun. We're going to have buddies and be friends. And then he just right. was like, Abyssal Dwarves. Right. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, so yeah, there, it was really tight. And, but there was two pivotal times my dice decided to just be like, eh. And that was at turn five, I'd like to say. Uh, he had a, a Siege Breaker horde because he had Ogre allies. Grant's like, list is awesome. Yeah, had a lot of wounds on it. I just needed to like, force a nerve check with my Thane with his five attacks hitting on threes. I hit once, <laughs> and then he weakened me. So I needed a five instead of a, uh, a four to wound and I rolled a four. So I didn't even wound them to force a nerve check. And so he like steamrolls my thing and secures that portion of the board. And then I ended up snaking a abyssal golem horde at the end. So he was able to then counter charge and kill him on the, on the final turn of the game and was able to basically secure up one of the other, uh, portions of the board that I wasn't able to, uh, to, to fully claim. Uh, but I think yeah, I think he learned some respect for the Northern Alliance when I almost one-shotted his Greater Obsidian Golem um, with my uh, Frost Fangs with the Brew of Sharpness. I think I put 12 wounds on him, so I needed, like, what's that, a five or six twice to take out a Greater Obsidian Golem? Yeah, those and, things normally won't die in one go. Oh, it it died, just not in that turn. <laughs> um, when you have Frost Fangs with the Brew of Sharpness. <laughs> yeah, bad, bad things happen, so... Uh, yeah, he just was just like, holy cow. But yeah, having that snakes and then that thing just deciding he was tired and didn't want to do nothing. Uh, 
that kind of sealed the loss for me. But uh, so he ended up being a 16, uh, 15-6, so a very fairly evenly matched game. And, you know, it's it's one of those games where the end result kind of it felt like it matched. Because sometimes you have those games where you're just like, how did I just get two or three points out of this? It didn't feel like that. You know, like it was a very slight you know, loss yeah. for me. It definitely felt that way. And, like and it Grant's made just, sense. The, the end of the yeah, game it made, it made sense. sense. Yeah, yeah, it totally made sense. The, the game how it ended. So, uh, but super tight, super tactical game. Grant is an awesome player to go up against. Love the guy. So, um, and yet, though I've yet to beat him in in uh, in a tournament. Uh, still, just a, a great game, great player. So I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. So, uh, yeah. That list is dirty. It is, but, you know, my list is kind of dirty, too. So it was nice to see two dirty lists kind of doing dirty things. So then that put you at two and two, right, Felix? Uh, Yes, I was two, two and two. two. Okay, yeah. so and that was your fourth game. And like we said, you guys played three on Saturday. So your first game on Sunday was game four. And then what about you, Eric? Talk to us about your game five. So I had uh, I had uh, Shannon Shoemaker, uh, Paragon winner last year, uh, other guy knocking around the Midwest like me. So we run into each other at tournaments quite a bit. Um, really super good player, very clean. Um, he was running Night Stalkers. Long story short, there wasn't anything in his list that I couldn't one-shot. The board was a little weird in that there was a big line of terrain down the middle. So for all intents and purposes, my hordes were not able to fit through that that line. Um, the issue, uh, the mission was control. He kind of went deferred flank over on my right, and I kind of just decided I was going to dominate the left and uh, try to mitigate my losses on the right, and it worked out, uh, and it ended up as a, I think a 19-2. I think I got a 19 that game. Um, but yeah, he had planar op- apparitions um, that were healing, but you can't heal the dead that he ended up trying to chaff with, um, and they died anyway. And then uh, he had some fiend reg- fiend hordes, which were scary, um, but they ended up getting one shot also, you know, so yeah, it was a, it was a, always a, always a good game with Shannon. Um, I think it's interesting that when he, I started playing him, he ran pretty much goblin gun lines, but he's been branching out into ogres and night stalkers and other things. In the beginning, I kind of felt like his melee game was a little, uh, a little off, like not as good as his shooting game because he was trying to run melee, uh, armies coming off of running a lot of shooting armies. And, uh, I can say that he is really, really, I think he was played really, really well. Um, he punched well above his weight for what I thought that the list, his list should have been able to do against mine. Yeah, so it was it was closer than the score uh, belies, but ultimately, when I'm able to one shot everything in his army, it's kind of a bad day for him. Yeah, you know he is Shannon's a top 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 notch player, and like you said, being someone who you know Britain's one of my uh, main play partners and playing orcs as many times as I have, it's really tough when the majority of the army you're playing is against. If you bounce off, it's gonna kill you. And I, you know, I play that fifteen seventeen 
in both my undead and Vaseline list. So it's like if I don't kill his units, he's killing whatever I'm charging with, basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta. You need to. It's your job to put together some com- some combination of assaults that make sure that you get to so you're able to remove that axe horde and don't leave yourself exactly. flying there. Right. Mm-hmm. You have to. Yeah. Um, yeah. All the all the famed orc slayers would agree. Like, yes. I know <laughs> you're your little cabal. <laughs> oh man, those guys <laughs> are so good at killing. So game five. So this is the last game for best of the rest. Game five, and then we'll get to Eric's game six for masters. So, uh, Felix, tell us about your last game. Right. So being two and two, I was in prime position to end up on the middle table. Out of the twenty-two tables in best of the rest, I was on table eleven. Uh, for round five, and I was paired up against uh, Stephen King. No, not the Stephen King, but uh, he's a local player, uh, one of in Corey Reynolds' uh, club, um, who was the ringer, who obviously did not get the memo on how to be the ringer because he was on the middle table. I was just like, what is going on here? How am I playing the ringer? <laughs> Best of the rest. So he was obviously punching some you know victories on his card list as well. So... Um, he was the second dwarf player I went up against. Uh, I actually really liked his list. He had like two or three regiments of shield breakers. He had an ironclad horde, uh, three cannons. He had three of the sharpshooter troops, two berserker Brock rider regiments, um, two steel juggernauts, I'd like to say. Um, super, super great game. He was definitely one of my funnest games of the weekend. Uh, so for the round six for masters round five for best of the rest the scenario was raise um this is where my dwarf clans and regiments like really came into play because um i was able to stretch my lines out further than he could so while i was fighting on my left flank i sent one of my regiments around the back end and was burning off two of the tokens uh in raise uh and i had sent Krim up uh, the other uh, flank to burn off the one token I had there because I was able to get in before he could move his dwarves up to contest. Um, yeah, things were going really, you know, kind of like a lot of shooty dwarf lists would go against my Frostfangs. He put like seven wounds on me in the first turn of shooting. I was just like, ugh. So I had to send my uh, Ice Queen with heal eight over there to try and heal him up. I think I ended up healing like five. I rolled really well on my heels. And I was just like, well, kind of need to start killing stuff because he's going to shoot me off the board otherwise. So I just sent my frost fangs in turn two, one shot at a, uh, a regiment of shield breakers as, you know, frost fangs and Bruce Sharpers are wont to do. Um, so then the next turn, he charges his ironclad horde into me, uh, takes me just to my. Uh, route value because he also put a uh, uh, a king, a flying king into the rear of me as well so it puts me at 17 wounds uh, we're talking we're like well it's just snakes twice he rolls like a 10 or something like that and then good old Corey Reynolds comes walking on up checking on how all the tables are doing and says hey hey, uh, hey, Steve how you doing snake eyes he's like well um, <laughs> I guess he was doing better until you walked up so uh <laughs> 
So it was like, okay. That's brutal. <laughs> so he snakes the uh, Frostbane Cav horde with a brew of sharpness. So they then proceed to one shot. Well, they well they had help from the Ice Nyad horde, but between that combo charge, they were the one shot the Ironclad horde. Um, so that definitely like opened up the middle for me. I was able to just sort of like section off his armies or his army. Uh, Napoleon in the Napoleonic Wars, Debbie talks about like just smashing the middle so you can then divide the army up into two different pieces so they can't mutually support each other. So that's kind of what I ended up doing um, in the game. Uh, of course, the the, the Frostfangs died the next turn, but they're living on borrowed time anyway. Um, and that's why I was able to just sort of like pick off the things I needed to get and. Uh, he absolutely – Steve King, to his credit, absolutely murdered my army. I think by the end of the game, I had both my Ice Queens, a Scald, and a Ironclad Regiment left on the board. That was it. Had it been any other scenario but raise, I probably would have lost it because I just did not have enough scoring strength left on the board. But since I was able to burn off those three tokens before I died, he wasn't able to burn off any of his tokens because uh, – he and I were fighting over one of the tokens on his side, but since Iron, uh, since Berserker Brock, since Berserker, Berserker Brocks have equal or less nerve unit strength than the uh, Dwarf Clansman Regiment does, he's not able to burn it off. And he went to claim the middle token. He was about five inches away, I'd like to say. But again, we're keeping the icy breath came into play. I was able to put a wound on them, waver them, and then he failed the headstrong roll. So he was stuck three inches out or five inches out away from the middle tokens. He wasn't even to claim that. So I was able to get a pretty sizable win on that one. I think that was a 18-3. So kind of a middling win, two major wins, and basically two basic middling losses. So ended up three and two for the weekend uh, and ended up, I think – with all the paint and sports, because being a Northeast GT, really, they they definitely like the the full one third, one third, one third for all aspects of the game. I think I ended up eleventh out of the forty three players uh, at a best of the rest, right behind Andrew Summers. Curses. That, uh, that's awesome, though. How did you? I mean, were you happy with your performance? Was it where uh, where you'd hoped to be, or, or how did it kind of match up with what you expected? I was I was basically hoping to get three wins, so I basically hit what I was getting. Um, you can ask Eric and all of them. I'm probably the least confident player in the chat cave, <laughs> my own <laughs> playing abilities. So uh, to basically meet my expectations was really good. I was really happy about that. Um, the list played pretty dang well. I was, uh, uh, you know, I'd say. Were there tweaks I could have I could have done? Yeah, you know, obviously the ten points I put on the brutal for the uh, ice naiads, I probably would have put that elsewhere. Um, but uh, I'd say yeah, it was pretty good. I mean, like I said, it was not an easy field, and definitely uh, having to wade through piles of stunties uh, to climb my way to eleventh place was was pretty good. Uh, I was pretty happy about that. So awesome, man! Well, congratulations. That was. Uh... Uh, it was great to see you do so well, and also it was really awesome to see uh, the Northern Alliance uh, see your painting journey from your Basileans to uh, – I thought your Northern Alliance army just looks really great. I love the Ice Blade and your Giant's really cool. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely been a journey. Um, I mean if you hit – if you go on After Dark, pretty much – 
seven days out of the week. I'm probably going to be on at some point. Um, I was just, you know, I don't view myself as a great painter. I just paint a lot. So it's one of those things. It's like any muscle. You know, Eric plays his 14,000 games a week. That develops his muscle. You know, I, I've been painting every day nope. for basically one to two hours. That develops that muscle as well. And so it's you just got to do it. Repetition. Yeah, only, gotta, only, only way you can get better at painting is that you got to paint. Right. And it's just like playing the games of Kings of War. The only way to get better is to, is to play your armies. So yeah, do what you uh, do. Yeah. So that's kind of, it's kind of nice. And to kind of get that respect, I know like Jake had mentioned, like how, how he really liked how my army was, you know, Ronnie took a picture of my army and posted it to Kings of War fanatics. Cause it was a hundred percent Mantic army. And he was kind of pretty, uh, pretty chuffed, I guess, as the Brits would say to, to see all Mantic armies at best of rest and masters. So like that was, that was kind of a pretty proud moment for me. I was pretty happy about that. that that's awesome. Cool, man. Um, okay, Eric, why don't you take us through your last game? I would just and- like to say that I got 60, 61st in paint and it's a travesty because my stuff looks awesome. Like, I mean, it, it really does. Like I, I've been painting little army men since I was 14. I don't suck at it. I'm pretty good. My stuff looks good, but still 61st in paint. I'm like, man, that's something. Anyway, I think what they did is they found the worst, like the Orkling that I painted, like in 1993, and he that was in the you, army. And he they screwed they, the pooch. Yeah, they they based they based my entire paint score off of that Orkling. Oh well, what are you gonna do? <laughs> no, I mean it's funny because I was I was talking about saw scores later, and Felix posted some meme about the uh, the dreadnought of the lake. Share your wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> about about loving what you what you created and i'm like yeah that's where i am because I, I i love my army my army's great it's all uh it's all like marauder orc models from the uh late 80s which is when i just got into the hobby and uh you know they're all nick lund sculpts i went and i mean i had to go on ebay and find these guys out of somebody's basement and strip them all down and repaint them so yeah it's cool i love the hobby stuff man i'm i'm there's nothing more pleasant than painting 20 minutes a day when you got a cool project going on just to take the edge off, you know, listen to a podcast, whatever. It's just so pleasant. Like the, there's something about when you get that you're painting and you just, it's just working, stuff's working and you're getting work done. It's great. And that's why I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of models painted in my basement. I know. Like if can't I miss- confirm. There's a lot of models there. <laughs> If I miss that like thirty to forty five minutes of paint over two or three days, all of a sudden I'll wake. I'm just like, why do I feel like crap today? Yeah, and right? it's it's because I haven't put paint to brush and let my mind de turn off and reboot and all the great things that painting painting gives you. Why don't you take us through your final game? Oh, before we do that, okay. So you're four and one. But you had some really good wins. So going into that last game, are you, are you building like an awareness? Or are you like, oh, man, I, I could maybe do well here? I met Jeff Shilkin for the first time, who's a dude I've always like, you know, I've never talked to him. I've never met him until this weekend. But I'd always seen his results in the Midwest, you know, vying for a Midwest Masters spot. And I'm always like, that guy gets results, like mostly with Varanger in the past. But I guess he was running dwarves. Met the guy. He's basically like the coolest guy you'd ever meet, right? 
right? He's yeah. pumped about the game. He's gracious. He's kind. He's a, a model or a hobbyist on another level. Like his stuff is absolutely beautiful. So we totally hit it off. I wish she didn't live 13 hours away because yeah. probably play a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, so it, Maybe folks maybe that aren't necessarily part of the Midwest scene may don't under, quite understand this, but literally half the Midwest never sees the other half of the Midwest when it comes to right. GTs, except for maybe Adepticon, and yeah. that's a maybe. Yeah. So like, yeah, like literally the Ohio guys and the guys in Indiana, they don't see the guys from Minnesota or you know sometimes even Chicago people in you know, Chicago is pretty close to Indianapolis. Yeah. Like we just don't see each other. Like it's we just, could, it's not we funny could drive to Miami Beach from Columbus in the same time we could drive to Duluth. And that's that's not an overstatement. That's just that's just distance on the map, right? <laughs> right. So we so it's 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 a weird region in that respect because we just don't ever see each other, you right. know. Uh, but yeah, Shilkin, like a man the man's hobby is I don't think he gets enough appreciation. Like it is amazing. Yeah, he's, it's... A, he's a great dude. I met him at Lady like two years ago, just amazing. Like, yeah. So I knew Shilkin and I have been talking like all weekend, like really encouraging each other, like really just totally hitting it off. Like um, he, I loved his army. He loved my army. We were, you know, talking stuff. We were both having nice runs and we were like, yeah, this is going great. Midwest going to pull it. It's going to be great. Um, it was and, a rad uh, bromance. As yeah, it, it was. It was. It was. It was wild. Um, and then I knew that I had. Uh, I knew that with the nineteen that I got against Shannon, there was a possibility that I'd be playing on the top table. I didn't really wasn't sure. Or but when then when uh, Zed shows up and I'm, I got paired against Zettelmeyer, it was clear that I was playing for for top dog with with Jeff very very tight behind. So I knew that I was going to have to win this game by a substantial margin to to win the master. Um, and uh, I thought it was interesting because I've played Mike before, Mike Zettelmeyer, who's a, 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 a lovely gentleman from the Mid-Atlantic. Um, I played him on UB once before. Um, we hit out hit it off is a good conversationalist uh similar attitudes uh he's an engineer i'm an engineer um well okay he's a he's a nasa rocket scientist and i'm a guy who you know pretends to be an engineer <laughs> he's a real engineer i'm a guy who makes sure your document can print right so that's <laughs> that's that anyway um so we 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 hit it off. We knew each other, and uh, I thought it was interesting that his army was basically infantry based, as was mine. He had uh, an undead army with two hordes of revenants, one with the brew of strength, some mummies, uh, regiment of wraiths, trooper wraiths, uh, vampire on a Pegasus, which is my favorite flyer in the game, um, and uh, some uh, like a gore blight. It was basically just dartboard undead, right? It's like hey, take one of these, one of those. He had some zombie trolls. He had a uh, regiment of uh, Revenant Cav. And uh, this was the most technical game that I played um, all weekend. I thought that his uh, his list was was really good. The mission was Raze, uh, and I decided that I was going to uh, try to burn all three of his and defend one of mine and win by a point or win by two points if I could get the middle. Um, long story short, there were a couple of pivotal rolls uh, that went my way. Um, I had to make a charge on a uh, – I had to one-shot a Revenant Horde with a Brew of Strength hiding in the woods. Um, and I had to do it with a 
uh, unhindered. Uh, well, I made it so that my Morax were unhindered. I had one Crudger, one Morax, and one um, Great Axe unit, all unhindered going into the front of a uh, unit of of uh, revenants in the woods. And then I sent a crusher into the, and if I, if I failed to one shot these, all my stuff was going to die. Cause he was just going to surge flank uh, out the wazoo and delete my army on that entire wing. I tried to send a crusher over to take a hindered charge on a unit of wraiths, which would potentially save my uh, great axe horde. Um, by grounding them, um, but he didn't get it done, which was unfortunate. Um, a crusher with three attacks is about a coin flip to do a wound to defense six hindered, which gives you an idea of how good uh, the crushers are. Anyway, long story short, I was like, okay, so I'll probably get 11 wounds from the from the great axe. I'll get six wounds from the morax. I'll get two wounds from Ushtug, my crudger, and uh, I'll be looking at, you know, a f- a snakes, uh, four twicer snakes with brutal or with brutal after I pop a skull pole. Well, as it turned out, I rolled bad and uh, ended up needing a s- an eight twice, a seven twice after the skull pole, which is just a uh, which is just a thirty percent chance, thirty. 35% chance, something like that. It's not a great chance. And I hit the roll. And if I, I don't hit that roll, um, the Jeff Shilkin's probably the master. Um, so that's just how, you know, sometimes it comes down to a die roll, and this one happened to go in my favor. He made some super clever plays. I was supposed to be, I had this one great axe horde that was its entire job in life was to do nothing but uh, sit on this squad on this one token in my back field and he made a clever charge with some revenants and then flew his vamp lord over and burned the token having five unit strength to my four um which sent my plan into a tailspin um and i probably made a mistake taking a center great axe horde off to my he offered me a flank on his rev cav which was which in retrospect is too juicy to pass up, right? You get to delete the RevCav. Who doesn't want to delete RevCav, right? Um, but in retrospect, it left that horde badly out of position to contest the middle, and then I needed some uh, some clever play uh, at the end to actually get that center token. Um, the thing that really kind of sealed it for me is that he had a pivotal instance where he had a, a Revenant King on a horse, uh, failed to disorder a unit of uh, a horde of great axe. He was just trying to chaff him up for a turn, and uh, failed to wound. And the great axe were able to waltz right through the that revenant king, which is by the way is only a one in six chance, right? So, it's uh, it was the odds were not in my favor, but that's another thing that went it you know went for me. And that great axe horde was able to waltz off and uh, get in a position to be able to contest the center on six. If he does a wound there, I don't know that I can realistically contest the center on six. Um, and once again, uh, Jeff Shilkin's probably the master. But that's something that went my way, and that's the way it goes. Um, these tournaments, man, I'll tell you, you you just have to play perfect. And then if you play perfect and you get some luck, you have a chance to win. And uh, I think I played pretty good, and I definitely got some luck and uh, worked out. 
Yeah, you know, you really do need all that that you say is you need, and we've talked about this, about tournaments, but especially the Masters, is you need to play perfect, you need to get good matchups in good scenarios, You need, and then you need the dice to do what you need them to do when you need them to do it. Uh, it, just as much as like you said, you don't have a turn seven, you do have a turn seven. You you don't get that one wound to ground a flyer, or you don't roll that rerollable six, or or whatever that you do eighty, sixty, eighty percent of the time. Uh, games just really turn on a hair at Masters. So um, yeah, anywhere really. I mean, it's not just Masters. It's like any time you play good players, you you better play perfect, and then like you say. Get some, get some luck, <laughs> or don't be unlucky, right? Because even even a five twice, right? You're a seventy percent chance to hit that, right? There's a seventy percent chance that Hillary Clinton's going to win the presidential election in 2016. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> yeah, we were playing, we were playing crafts, and we were joking with Shannon about, well, the most average dice roll on the dice is a seven, so that's good now. And Shannon was like, if I could only just roll sevens every time, I tech nerve, it would be great. We've actually talked about that like a number of times, just accept average dice for any role, but the game becomes so much less interesting because then it's completely deterministic. Then you're playing just analog chess. It's way less interesting. Yeah, and I'm one of those, you know, I mean, I try to play at a competitive level, but I still think dice make the game interesting, you know? I do. So otherwise we play chess or we, we play extravagant, you know, make our own, paint our own chess boards, but you know, right. dice. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the beauty of the game, right? The sign of a good game design is a game where the best players will win more often, but it's random enough so that anybody can win. That's why no hold'em, that's why like no limit hold'em and backgammon are more interesting parlor games than chess, right? Because, if I sit down and play a chess master, I'm never going to win ever. But if I play the best backgammon in the world, I might pull a game, you know? Yeah, and that's the thing in our hobby. You know, you look at a field, and maybe you can guess 5, 10, 15 people that you think probably will be at that in the top 20% or whatever. And most of the time, that's correct, but there's always people that come up or move down you know what i mean so it's it's still something where you got to play correctly so you're in the position to have a chance to win you know and then you got to roll the dice at that point right and then that's the that's the cool stuff though is then when the new people come around like the new kids with the new ideas like that's that's the that's the best thing about this game is the ideas and uh new kids are the ones that's got them so that's what i'm stoked about those 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 newfangled millennials or what what's after millennials? Dude, some dude know. just rolled up. Some dude, this new kid just rolled up at Indy Storm and won Best General. <laughs> like nobody, he never it was his first tournament. He's like, yeah, I'm just gonna win Best General real quick. Yep, <laughs> Andrew Hartley. Yep, Andrew Hartley yeah. out of Indianapolis. No like, worries. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I just rolled up, just just punching people's faces in like experienced what players too. Right. What did he play? Undead, and he played it like it's like he just threw a bunch of darts at a dartboard. And it was his chose, Aldi. It was, it was Aldi one of each. Cartilage. Just like oh, I'm gonna pick one of these, one of these. It was one of each, and and Morgoth the mandatory. Uh huh. As as they say, as you do. As yeah. you do. Well, cool guys. What about final thoughts? Let's go with you, Felix. What were sort of your uh, final thoughts about Masters Weekend? Any takeaways? Highlight? You know, medium light, low light, whatever. Just what? Any final thoughts on Master Weekend? Uh, 
Man, I like. I mean, it's already been said before in a bunch of different times, a bunch of different forums. It is just a celebration of Kings of War that it is an absolute gem, and that's why I still play the game after three and a half years. Like, it's just, it's amazing. There's just, um, and, and it's been said before as well. Like, I didn't feel that much tension in the room. Granted, I was on the side where the peasants were all playing, but even still, like, I'm hearing a lot of laughs, a lot of woos and stuff, you know, going on the other side, even on the master's side. Like, so, I mean, it is the least competitive-looking, most competitive room I've ever seen of Kings of War. Like, everyone there is just dialed in. Their lists are great. They're playing hard, but it's like... It, there's still a, there's still a levity to the room, which is amazing, and I love that about this this activity. So I hope that never changes. Right, because it is just it's a treasure. I absolutely love it, and that's why I travel to Canada and to Nashville and Memphis and you know West Virginia to play all these tournaments because they're just amazing. And, and Masters is just sort of like wraps it all up in a nice big great bow package and getting to see all the guys I see on after dark, you know, Rashad, I've been talking to him for years on after dark. We probably hundreds, if not thousands of hours talking with each other in after dark, never actually got to meet each other until masters. So like that was amazing. You know, Ryan Munsell, Dan Wright, uh, Mike Grant, a lot of these guys on the West coast. I never actually met before in person, getting to meet them. That was like the top part of my weekend. I absolutely loved all of it. So, Cool. And what about you, uh, Eric? You know, and, and again, before we kind of get your final thoughts, just congratulations again from the show and from, you know, Rob and I and every all the other hosts. You know, um, it was uh, great to see you take such a, a a nasty list, but nasty in the way that you want to play against. You know what I mean? And re- really do well. So, what are your third of final thoughts on the weekend? But also like winning masters. Uh, kind of what's running through your head now? Wow. Um, well, I mean, I, this is something I definitely wanted to do. I don't know if you've ever, like, I've, when I started playing and Patrick won the Masters, the first Masters, um, it was clear to me that I was like, man, that is awesome. That's what I want to do. But you can't ever really be sure that you're going to be able to do it, right? Because it's like the world's gnarliest organic chemistry test that you have to study for. Only you might show up and it actually turns out to be on, you know, fluid mechanics or something else, right? You, you never know what's, what you're, what's really going to happen. So it's absolutely a, a dream to win this. But there's no way that I can do it, that I would have been able to do it without uh, without Stephen Malone, without Andrew Summers, without Kyle Poole, without Felix, without um, without my guys, right? Um, and that it's a, it's a really is a, a group achievement, um, and it's just my hope over the next year that I'll get those guys, I'll be able to do for them what they did for me. And get me ready to go, or get them ready to go um, next year, so they can roll up and people start thinking about Ohio as kind of like uh, start talking about us in the hushed tones that people talk about Dojo now, right? So, because I, I think we, we've got top, top, top players here, and I think that uh, we'll be able to show people that um, this year was not a fluke and maybe next year Kyle or Steve or Andrew or Felix will, will be doing it instead. And it's good. I mean, it's bad. It's 
better for the hobby and better for the masters and just better for uh, the state of the game if we can get these sort of incubation chambers or these good clubs or good groups growing all across the country. It's only going to make everyone else uh, work harder, come up with better paint, better strategies. So I think it's good that we spread the success around. You know, it's only going to encourage each other to do better. Yeah, for sure. Well, awesome, fellas. Any uh, uh, Felix? Any shout outs for a Narrative Workshop or anything you you got? What's what's going on coming up on your schedule? I don't have anything anymore. This whole world situation is going on right now. It's completely throwing everything into disarray. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know what's going on anymore. Yay! Um, yeah, I don't know. We haven't. I know we recorded the episode with Ben Stoddard, which that should be coming out hopefully shortly, talking about his new uh, novel, Drowned Secrets. So definitely listen to that one. We had some uh, listener feedback questions that we were able to ask Ben while he was on the call. And uh, also got to talk to Brandon Rossbond, uh, one of the editors at uh, Winged Disar Publishing, kind of talking. I'm not certain if it's going to make it in, but talking about kind of the future of the Kings of War novels lines up, lineups and stuff like that. So that's pretty cool. Um, trying to think what else. Uh, Workings GT, I've been talking about it the last couple of times. Uh, still scheduled for Memorial Day weekend in Springfield, Ohio, uh, which is in the southwestern portion of the state. Um, I mean, obviously, we don't know what's going on with anything going on anything right now but uh we still tentatively got that plan so definitely if you can uh sign up for that uh we would definitely love to have you guys uh you know kind of see the midwest at least the southern portion where we're at you know we're we get some really tight games really really great players but it's a fun time i mean it's not a a lot of laughter and fun i mean andrew summers is like the nicest guy he's like the al borland of uh kings of war just you know Especially with this flannel that he wears a lot to GTs, which is kind of weird. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, definitely if you guys can make it to that, sign up for it. Uh, you know, I think we're starting to fill up, but uh, obviously once Adepticon got canceled, it's going to shift a lot more players uh, to us as well. So sign up while you still can. Um, but yeah, it's a fun time. So, um, and also one last thing I wanted to say, kind of the final thing, and one more thing. Um, I was really stoked to see Eric win this. Because I've been talking about for the past couple years, like he was kind of the the best player of Kings of War, like no one knew about, just because of through life situations. He qualified for Masters, you know, past two or three years, had just never been able to go. But thankfully, life circumstances were able to permit him to be able to travel. So I'm really excited that that he's now a thing. People know who he is. So um, super proud. I mean, any of us that rode back with him, and even us in the secret chat cave, just you know. We're just super stoked to see him get the success he did. So uh, I know he's being humble. It was it was just really cool, and it was kind of weird as well. Like when I, when when Britton wrote his wrote his article about the people he was thinking was going to win this, and see Eric Stam was kind of like, "Whoa, wait a minute, <laughs> I know this guy." Like, yeah, uh, Britton and Kenneth Hessler get it because <laughs> we have lost so many games with orcs we are a special band of brothers so when brenton who's the best writer in kings of war right now in my opinion wrote this absolute love letter in dash 28 to the list i was i was so humbled it was great Britain, i'll see you this summer man i'm coming to redwood city 
yeah, definitely. We're we're gonna be excited to have you. We're, we'll get some games going for sure. Uh, when you, yeah, when you head out this neck of the wood, get those blank bases out. That's um, right. That's how we do. Suitcase you know, we, full of MDF. <laughs> Brendan and I always feel so bad because we're really like the sort of flag bearers for Kings of War in the Bay Area, but we're always testing lists. So we'll go to the game store and it's like I'll pull out my blank bases and he'll pull out a blank base, but then he'll pull out a whole army of beautifully painted like greeks from some obscure like old school and he and he'll look at my blank bases and he's like bro i don't play with unpainted models so he'll just like proxy like his one of some of his collection and uh right, but, yeah right. no i feel you know we talk you talk about um having those groups of players and it's like um i feel really lucky in that I only have one or two guys to play against every week, but one of them is Britain. So I do get to play against someone who's a very talented painter and a great player and stuff like that. He, he, he broke it to me at masters that he was going to maybe like be moving in the next couple of years. And he, oh, no! years and he just saw this look on my face and he was like, Jeremy, calm down. Cause I was like, dude, don't, don't leave me. But, um, he's where somewhat like you guys in that, our other big player base, which is Scott, Kyle, Rashad, Mike Grant, those are all Southern California, so that's seven, eight-hour drive from us. So it's not like we can just hop over there for a weekend. You know, it's tough. But um, uh, any other final thoughts, Eric? You know about winning Masters or anything? Uh, just, uh, just, um, it's a, it's an absolute dream. It's up there for me with uh, uh, graduating college it's ridiculous to no, say it's awesome yeah, man it really is um and uh hopefully i can represent the way uh the way zorro and uh uh chavez, chavez and brad have, so yep and you got a pretty awesome helmet let's admit that that was <laughs> that's true yeah well well deserved like i said you know um it was nice to see uh, all that hard work, which I know you put in. Um, uh, it was really nice to see it get paid off. And now that I lost my game six to Alex Chavez in this Masters, and you beat me at Adepticon, it's like I'm, I'm collecting my losing to U.S. Masters. So uh, I got two on my belt. I got to do like the, tri- the the quadrifecta or whatever it is. That's a pretty prestigious list, though. Is, You're not the first person to lose some games to Chavez. I had a game with Chavez at Mountaineer where he beat me, and then he explained to me how I could have beaten him. <laughs> <laughs> And I, and all I could do is be like, yeah, you're right. I should have done that. <laughs> that sounds like Alex. See, now I just got to lose to Pat because I played Pat. I, I've actually like, okay, I'll tell you that the two times I beat Pat Allen was we played once on UB and it's UB and he's trying this wacky thing. And then the other was when me and Todd Serpico at Jeff's living, Jeff Swan's living legends tournament, we barely beat him and Michael Percy and they were playing a strategy of, Michael Percy would randomly pick a location on their deployment zone, and then Pat Allen would roll a die, and then that would determine what unit they deployed there. Oh, God. And they still won that tournament. Oh, God. <laughs> just, just, just annihilating people. And then, oh, man, it was it was hilarious. That is probably one of my favorite uh, uh, team d- uh, tournaments you know living legends is like a team tournament but yet it still it has a lot of high level play it's like the perfect mixture of what i love about king's war tournaments so um 
Well, right on, guys. I want to thank you very much, uh, Eric, for coming on. Thanks, Felix. Thanks to um, all the Secret Chat Cave. Uh, shout out to everyone. Um, I still think my favorite uh, thing ever is Jesse Cornwell's impersonation of Stevie Stevie Malone listening to Enya. <laughs> um, I'll let you, Felix can f- fill you in on that on that uh, gloriousness, but um, oh, we we've all talked about it. We, oh yeah, god, we, it's just hilarious. We all know about it. Yeah, you know, I just got to keep telling Jesse, stay alive until we get to play again, like his last of the Mohicans. Um, well, he's talking about maybe going to Lone Wolf now that uh, Adepticon has. I think I'm really curious to see. Um, what Lone Wolf looks like now that Adepticon is shutting down because I think a lot of people who were really kind of back and forth between do I go to Adepticon or do I go to Lone Wolf uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see Lone Wolf get 10, 15, 20 you know get some signups here in the last month with uh, Adepticon canceling so it should be interesting but uh, yeah that'd be that should be pretty interesting we gotta um, get you down to Lone Wolf Felix I know it's just ah it's it's a bit of a haul for for, for Dallas Fort Worth, so but uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, and thanks to thanks to you guys for putting this on, man. Countercharge is awesome. I remember in 2016, maybe it was 2015, driving. Uh, I was on a big ass road trip with two little kids in the back who were really little, and they're big now. And uh, I remember listening to uh, Rob's coverage of some tournament. I don't even remember what it was because I was new to the hobby. Uh, maybe it was the Nashville Masters. Maybe it was probably something even before that. I think it was Lone Wolf that year before. And uh, the podcast went on for four hours. I was We were on like a 12-hour road trip, and I got to listen to guys talk about these crazy Kings of War lists with like 80 Breath Abyssals, which was like – I was like, what? Is that even possible? How do you do – three Croniuses and blah, blah, blah. Just interviewing anybody and everybody for hours, and it was just such beautiful content for about my favorite topic for me to listen to in the car. And uh, that's my favorite countercharge is the stuff that is – the stuff that just goes on and on and on talking about our favorite hobby. Well, Rob's the, ma- you know, Rob's the master. You, and I bet if you asked him, he'd be like, Oh, I remember that episode. That's when I interviewed Doug Smith. He, he's from this, the, the Elm street guys on fourth street behind the church and Elmira. What a, he, you, you mentioned anyone and he'll tell you, Oh yeah, I know him. He plays with so-and-so in this. I mean, he's just like a walking, uh, uh, Facebook of, he knows, just knows everyone in the hobby. And, um, yeah, but and back when there was nothing, he was he was he was the thing, right? Now that now you can choose between like five different podcasts. Well, back then there was only Rob. You know, there was God, only Rob. God love him, Rob. And he would he would talk for four hours. And I and I when when it was over, I was like, is that all there is? When's when's the next one? And we put out a lot of content, you know. So uh, that's saying a lot when you. Um, uh, want more but i mean in the end we've said it on the show before we try to do a wide variety of shows so you may not like every episode and we don't expect you to listen to everyone but we try to have something in there for everyone so if you're into kings of war we're going to do an episode at some point that we hope you guys like um but we're always open to suggestions you know as we wrap up the show always hit us up on facebook uh, it's awesome to see Easy Army is back. Pay the subscription; it's worth it. 
He's done a lot for the hobby. That's a great uh, website. For us, uh, Rob and I are going to be going to Lone Wolf, so stay tuned. You know, Rob couldn't make it to Masters this year. Well, we're going to be going to Lone Wolf all, uh, if we're all still here. And on that note, everyone, take care of yourself. Be healthy. But Rob and I plan to try to have some on-site recording from Lone Wolf, sort of in the uh, 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 vein of Rob's normal coverage that he gets at events and at Masters. So since Rob and I will both be at Lone Wolf, we're hoping to get some some coverage. So stay tuned for that. And as always, remember, keep counter charging. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time on Counter Charge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com. On Twitter at countercharge15. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons. Mm-hmm.